When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so a game week featuring perhaps the harshest binary between the haves and have-nots I think I've ever seen comes to a close with Anthony waving his Irish flag as Michael Obafemi scores late in stoppage time at Old Trafford, once and for all consigning Harry Maguire to trash status. Well, yeah, what a week fans Sterling, Antonio and Jesus owners, plus Martial people too. Though, for the rest of us, not so much. Joining me to pick over the wreckage, the whole crew is back together again and Anthony returns to the pod and, of course, Nick too. Nick, you all right? Hey mate, yeah, I'm all right, thank you. I feel like we're really starting to hit that butt end of the season, aren't we? And uh, had a similar butt end score this game week two, which we'll uh, digest in a minute. But just to remind people who we are firstly, we are who got the assist. Um, we're on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL for Tom, at WGTA underscore Nick for myself, at FPL Stag for Anthony. And we're also on Instagram, WGTA.FPL. So, yeah, we're joined again by Antonio after illness saw in red flag last week. Um, how are you? Hi, lads. Uh, good to be back again on a lovely July evening here in Ireland's real capital, uh, Cork, my home my home place. Um, but yes, unfortunately, you did miss the last pod. I was just a wee bit sick, had a bit of a headache. Um, someone seemed to think that I had coronavirus online, which was funny in the Twitter DMs or mentions. But yeah, no, rumours of my downfall were indeed exaggerated. So look, we'll move on to the agenda of this pod anyway. Uh, we'll start off with the market forces and our game week reviews as per now these days. And then we're going to look at and discuss hindsight and judging decisions by outcomes and the world of FPL in general and how people seem to assess how they've done week by week, how they assess players, etc. Then we're going to move on to our standard listeners questions and then we'll look at our own teams, transfers, captains, etc, etc. But first of all, let's start with the game week review and it's a game week review like no other, isn't it Tom? Yes, it's one like no other. Cause it's one where you have beaten both of us soundly. Um, yeah, the grin on Anthony's face is a boyish in the extreme. Um, I'll start with me first. It's a, well, 
the the fall off the pride of me this week. I mean, I can't complain because of how well uh, last week went. This week is back to earth with a bit of a bump. It's 45 points, which is uh, not fantastic. Basically, things didn't go my way in the the way that last week things really went my way. Uh, the key point scorers were uh, Vardy came in, got seven points. The guy that sold Jimenez got eight. But it was a lucky pen. All right, it was all about resulting in a minute. Um, Mares got an assist. And Fernandez got an assist. Oh, and Dean Henderson at the back as well uh, got an eight-pointer. The biggest victory of the week, Craig Dawson, three points. He feed the bonus. Uh, but really, I-, I love the poetic justice of this week compared to last week. Last week, I was sitting around hoping that Kevin De Bruyne didn't do anything, and he only got one assist in the game. This week, um, my captain, who was the high-owned player like Kevin De Bruyne was last week, only got an assist in the game. So, yeah, 45 points. I think I've got like a, a slight red arrow, probably 10k down to, I don't know, 110, 115k, something like that. But compared to where I was not very long ago, I'm not going to quibble with that too much. Uh, before we get to Anthony and his, uh, and his gloating kind of spree, let's uh, take Nick first, shall we? Yeah, sure. So you might have seen um, on Twitter that I had a pretty uh, rubbish week. In the end, I managed to score 35 points, which is uh, pretty damn terrible. I mean, it started off reasonable with Aaron Cresswell, of all people, keeping a a clean sheet there, which was only dampened slightly by the fact that Twitter was awash with all the people that got the Antonio for um, for goal haul. But after that, things just really sort of descend quite quickly into what felt like a farce. Um, Mane had been kept out by Nick Pope, who, who put an absolute storm of a performance in multiple times. But of course, Pope actually managed to get himself yellow carded in the last minute, which someone calculated to cost four points because he would have got free bonus if he hadn't got that yellow card. Ended up getting no bonus at all and matching uh, Ben Foster. So that was a bit frustrating. And obviously, Manny was my captain as well. So to just see chance after chance get squandered, very, very frustrating. Uh, Pulisic blanked and then it was the City game where De Bruyne did absolutely nothing in a 5-0 victory and Mahrez only got a solitary assist while Sterling hauled. Uh, Wolves up next, two Wolves players sitting on my bench with a nice eight-pointer and a six-pointer didn't come on so I didn't get any of those lovely points unfortunately from Jimenez and Sice. And then uh, Soyuncu happened. He was on for a clean sheet. It oh, seemed. I forgot um, you owned him. Oh, my word. <laughs> <laughs> taken away with uh, you know, two goal deficits and a very reckless um, red card. Um, complete idiot there. And Bournemouth ended up scoring four in that game. And it was a minus three contribution to the previously reliable man. Um, and then it was finding the United game. And I felt like a little bit, because I didn't captain Bruno, I kind of got away with... More damage, more collateral damage to my team there. Um, Rashford managed to pick up a goal and possibly one bonus. Um, but uh, Greenwood did nothing. So, yeah, not my best week. Um, I think it's the gaps now, only like three or four points somehow between me and you. I don't know how that's happened. It was about 50. It was actually yeah, more than 50. It was last week. It was about it was 70, last week. I think, at one point in the last couple of game weeks. And now it's only... Four points, so yeah, open open season here. Finally, I hear you had a, a really good week for a change. Uh, uh, look forward to hearing about it, Anthony. Go for it. Like, look, really good is an exaggeration. Like, look, I, I didn't have Raheem Sterling. I didn't have Mikel Antonio. I got... 60 um, points net, 68 actually. So I took a minus eight. And basically, I got rid of the real dross in my team, which was... Harry Maguire and Nketiah also got rid of Riyad Mahrez as part of a move basically to get in Tony Martial, Jamie Vardy who I captained and good old Tariq Lamptey who is just a very cheap enabler on my bench from Brighton. So 
Look, 68 points or 60 points overall takes me to the top uh, <clears throat> three quarters of a million. So we're really uh, pushing on this season. But look, realistically, um, Martial coming in was a big thing for me. Captain Vardy obviously expected that to go an awful lot better. And I guess when you make your transfers and restructure your team with a view to making a captaincy decision and it turning out like it did with Vardy, that probably isn't a success. And realistically, you know, the only success would have been to bring in and captain uh, Sterling, but that was it was never on my agenda, to be perfectly honest with you. So I'm I'm quite content, really, to have got as many points as I did. It's, it's been a crap season. It's nice to have a good week at least once, but um, I'd need quite a few more of them to have any sort of respectable rank come Game Week 38. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as I said, I think it's just it was a good week to have a good week, and same week last week was. But I mean, for this one particularly, I think the average is going to be very, very low. Um, I mean, as you probably have heard, none of us three had kind of the the holy trinity. I, I think maybe you can probably put Marshall in actually after goal assist three bonus tonight of Sterling, Antonio, Martial, or Jesus. None of us had those any of those four. Um, if you have one of them, you're probably on for a green arrow two plus, and you were really you know rocketing away, weren't you? And uh, I guess to assess how the uh, how the player base is reacting to that quadrumvirate doing very, very well. Uh, Nick, market forces, what's going on? As you said, it's, um, it's Sterling and Antonio um, that did particularly well this game. And of course, they're being bought in their droves. So over 100,000 transfers now for Raheem Sterling, who, who turned up with a hat-trick. Man City, obviously, some fantastic fixtures to close the season off with Bournemouth, what for Norwich. Um, obviously, a lot of people um, looking at him there and Antonio with a four-goal um, game. You know, obviously, Watford up next as well, playing out of position. A lot of interest there, 65,000 transfers in the time recording for him. So, I think there's no surprises at all. Those guys are being heavily bought. I was a bit surprised, actually, between by the third and fourth most transferred in players. This Ings with 62,000 uh, transfers in and Mason Green with 61,000 transfers in, mainly because... They were only just playing. And I, I was just surprised to see so many people making these early transfers before the Manchester United-Southampton game. Um, so, I mean, you can see that sort of thing generally at the beginning of the season, obviously, when there's a lot of, you know, like what I'd call potentially casual gamers. But, um, you know, this is the kind of tail end of the season to see so many people making the early moves, especially when you're probably not too worried at this point about price changes compared to the beginning of the season where you're trying to chase the rises. That, I found that a little bit odd to see those guys but you know you, you can understand why they're being targeted with Southampton's remaining fixtures and United's remaining fixtures as well and, and the players form and then and finally there is no, it is no surprise that Greenwood is in there though maybe just throwing in just because people are just trying to free up value to get Sterling into their sides like 11.8 is a pretty steep price tag really so if you can bring in a now 4.9 Greenwood that's going to give you an extra bit of cash to make that happen yeah yeah for sure I think it's just surprising that people couldn't wait until tonight you know of course, wait until of the football's over before they made the move and yeah Jesus who Tom mentioned um, heard us on the pod probably decided to show us up with a, a goal and a two assists he's also been performing pretty well in the underlying stats so he, he rounds up the the top five in terms of transfers in um, in regards to the sellers it's it's so issue obviously he's uh, suspended now 120,000 transfers out though it didn't seem like there was any particular defenders that were really being bought in no one in the top 5 the most transferred in defender right now is is John Egan with 45,000 transfers in a lot of people obviously saw his couple of goals I think he's going to score week in week out maybe we'll address that a little bit later um Tarko with 37,000 transfers in and uh, Luke Dean 
Uh, 26,000 transfers in, he's a bit more expensive, but Everton have some really nice fixtures. And also Asper Equator, 25,000 transfers in. Another interesting one, um, but Chelsea have Norwich up next, so people looking at that specific fixture probably and thinking Asper Equator could potentially get some returns there. Yeah, in, in truth, there's some serious outcome bias there, I think, in particular with John Egan. I think that's uh, nicely ties in with what we'll be talking about a bit later on in the pod, as you said. Yep, exactly. Uh, rounding up the uh, sellers, it's the Liverpool guys that are being heavily sold. Uh, Sergio Mane, 55,000 transfers in. Salah, 54,000 transfers in. And uh, Alexander-Arnold, who started on the bench, uh, been a bit quiet recently, 52,000 transfers out. So clearly a lot of movement now um, towards selling Liverpool assets, especially considering perhaps they've got tougher fixtures to come with Arsenal and Chelsea up next. Well, I mean, none of that is surprising, is it really? I think that we're going to probably going to see maybe some movement this evening, I guess, after uh, after the game. But with a two-two, I guess it's going to be Martial seeing some upwards frost after uh, after all that we've seen. Let's move on to the main topic this week, which is going to go psychological a little bit after a kind of below par week for Nick and Anthony, full of regret for the course of the season, I suppose. Uh, plus that kind of chasing points in the market forces, all of all of that sort of got us thinking about decision making and how we perceive of it. It's also inspired by the question that we got from FPL PATSD last week about this and kind of how we perceive of bad game weeks and perceive of things going slightly wrong for us. Forgive a bit of self-indulgence um, on our parts here and congratulations to those captioning, slash owning, Sterling, Antonio, something, something, something. Hats off to you. Hope you also find this useful. So the key theme is how do we judge decisions? As Anthony mentioned a second ago, outcome bias is the first thing to talk about here. Now, just to introduce this and explain it to you, outcome bias or resulting in poker is something I've mentioned a few times. And it's perhaps the single biggest thing outside of hindsight, which we'll speak about in a little bit, I see happening in how FPR managers respond as game weeks go. Simply put, outcome bias is the tendency to evaluate the quality of the decision based on the outcome rather than the thought process. So people who succeed at the end of a game week in FPL terms are assumed to have made better decisions than people who failed. In life and in FPL, this means that people who made the right decision to be cautious and not risk it, because that works the majority of the time, but failed are punished a lot more than those who took irresistible risks that happened to work out. So for example, captioning a mad pick that most people would never even know countenance. Uh, there's one good study on this, which I've shortened, truncated and abridged for you guys, which used a legal case to ask subjects whether a city, um, this was a UPenn experiment, should have done certain preventative actions like flood risks. When exposed to the evidence the city had at the time, so before they knew a, a, an event had happened like a flood, only 24% of people felt that they sh- the city should have invested in flood protection controls. But when exposed to the outcome that this action was supposed to prevent, this rose to 56% of people saying that they should have invested money. So it's just basically the impact of knowing the outcome and using that to judge the decisions that have been made. Outcome bias then, guys. Do you see this often in FPL? I'm guessing the answer is yes, because we spoke about this earlier on. It just kind of screams bloody Twitter to me. That's what it screams. <laughs> it's just like, the, the fact of the matter is that every week you're, and you kind of, and I think we maybe internalize it, you're, you're either an idiot or an absolute genius, depending on how your picks um, do. And I, I think this game, this game week was a pretty good exercise in that. And it's the, the contrast between how Mo Salah did and how Raheem Sterling did, of course. Salah, having hauled last week, would have been a popular enough captaincy pick going into this week. Sterling, of course, was coming into form and obviously absolutely delivered one of the biggest performances of his season today, or 
this weekend. But the fact of the matter is, is that Salah had as many big chances as Sterling. Um, Salah had more shots in the box this week than Sterling. And there was a 40-point swing there if you captain Sterling compared to Salah. So it's like, it, it is unfair when people say that, you know, someone who captained Salah or had Salah made the wrong decision. The fact of the matter is, is they didn't necessarily, it just didn't work out that way. But it's just typical, isn't it? Yeah, I certainly think it's it's typical. I mean, I, I kind of tried to look at this from my own personal experience this particular game week. And I do certainly think, you know, I'm, I'm not going to look at my decisions and think, oh, I would, I'd make certain decisions or other decisions if, if I had, the, you know, obviously the outcome bias here. And ultimately, I think, you know, um, I think that's mitigated to a certain extent behind my logic I think if, if my thinking was sound I'm not going to beat myself up too badly about it for instance like I'm quite happy with the fact that I took uh, didn't make any transfers at all this game week it made sense with the lineup I had with the strength on the bench and it's just unfortunate for instance that the guys on the bench didn't come on because I've got one pointers from the likes of Trent Alexander-Arnold or or Mane created five chances and, and couldn't you know, score any of them at all. It was just it's certain unfortunate elements. And the other example, obviously, Manchester City assets backing them. The logic behind that was sound. It just turned out that other Manchester City assets delivered on the day, playing so true against Bournemouth, Operation Target Bournemouth. It was a sound decision, I believe. I I, I wasn't aware, didn't expect him to do his best karate kid impression and get him sent off in a fit of rage and end up with a minus three pointer there. Yeah, it's angry Farquad uh, really going at it, wasn't he? Um, yeah, so I asked the Twitter about this as well. So we asked, how do you judge how well you've made decisions in FPL? Uh, 20% said by the thinking slash approach. 31% said by the results slash outcome. 38% said a combination of both. And almost 10% said I never dwell on the result. So the winner was a combination of kind of thinking and the result in terms of judging how things are going on. But notable that kind of uh, almost a third um, take result outcome to be kind of the key reason why. And there's obviously a, a few good reasons why. Like if you look at some of the responses or points of points at the end of the day, so one person said, another person said, real life isn't adjusted for luck, which again, that completely makes sense. Those are valid points to make. Um, but I guess to shift on to kind of how we evaluate these decisions, I think what Nick said there was really personal in that if my thinking was sound, I'm not going to get too upset. The key thing for me in terms of evaluating decision making is peace of mind. And I've gotten a lot better over the, over the time I've been doing WTA at making my decision and closing the door behind it. Like I'll happily reevaluate the decision in the cold light of day. But it's often a futile exercise, I think, to apply full on regret to the decision making process. Because often, as Nick just said as well, I, I trust I've done the right thing uh, and the right thinking uh, behind the decision I've made. And I recognize the sense of outcome bias. I'm not sweating, for example, the fact that I'm one point down this week by throwing out Jimmy, uh, who got a pen goal and eight points, Vivardi, who got seven points. I'm just not going to regret that, to be honest. And I, I guess most most importantly of all, like if you have this sort of sense of peace of mind, I don't think there's there's so much about making the right decision or making the wrong decision. It's more about kind of the, reframing the question, I suppose. It, it's not about asking, was it the right decision? It's more about asking, are you happy with the decision you made? 
and another thing to say here is that I more, more often than not make sure I weigh the impact of luck or randomness quite highly in FPL. So a lot of people dismiss this. Um, it's worth noting as being an excuse for you know, poor outcomes or if you've done very, very well, people say, oh, you know, he just got lucky this week or she just got lucky this week. But I think FPL is fundamentally about putting yourself in the right position to get lucky. We've all watched a lot of football in our lives, amplified by the recent orgy of football on our screens. And that's really concentrated this luck sort of thing to me, the randomness thing to me. You know, from way back in uh, Euro 96, Gascoigne missing that sliding chance versus Germany, all the way to Aubameyang being gifted two goals versus Norwich. And Salah missing that TAA assist uh, this weekend. But things can be so damn different if things are just a tiny bit different. So I, I think that it's probably always useful to ask yourself a different question, which is, are you happy with the decision you made rather than beating yourself up about it being the right or wrong decision? Yeah, like, as you say, I was kind of considering maybe those margins and maybe the sorts of things that, you know, the thinking or approach, let's say, that we use to justify our decisions, which I guess in my case this season hasn't necessarily worked out, but in theory should work out because, you know, you've done your homework and you should then get the points. And I think I was thinking of, let's say, how poorly Liverpool's defence performed in the opening game weeks of this season. I think they went one clean sheet in approximately like 10 game weeks. Alisson, of course, got injured, but they still continue to have an absolutely brilliant XGC, but nope, couldn't keep a clean sheet for the life of them. There's these penalty-reliant players that have had a streak lately. Bruno Fernandes is one. He's obviously been an extraordinary signing, but the fact of the matter is he's been fortunate sometimes to get the hauls that he has and it's been because of penalties. De Bruyne, similarly. Uh, Jamie Vardy and the whole of the Leicester team in fact outperforming their XG for half a season like you you can't necessarily legislate for these minor things kind of going one way or the other and of course you would have been right to have Vardy in your team but equally your thinking wouldn't necessarily have been wrong if you didn't have Vardy in your team for quite a few weeks at least I think there's, there's a point where the momentum is such that you probably can't continue to ignore him though. Yeah, I think another example there of those sort of penalty takers is William, of course, as well. He seems to be really thriving, I guess, in the absence of Eden Hazard being on all those set pieces and penalties. Yeah. And you could say, oh, yeah, we we, could, we should have seen this coming, potentially. But William, this is a player that had been in the Premier League for, for seven years and never scored above about 140 points or so. So, you know, the, the logic, we still feel like the logic was sound there in terms of saying, no, oh, this is not perhaps the best asset to, to select from, especially when you had the so many other assets available in midfield. Yeah, and I, I think the Willy Wagon is probably a, a really good example of, of that and how things sort of revert, right? So what can we learn from all this? What can we learn from all these experiences? I think recognising these fine margins or the role of randomness in sport and fantasy sports is really important. It creates variance, so deviation from an expected mean. Think about it as a pendulum swinging totally between three points. On the left, totally against you. In the middle, sort of matching your expectations or stats expectations at least. And on the right, totally going your way. And what makes it swing is down a lot just to randomness the player being in the right position the contact being perfect getting that nice little nick off the post rather than hitting the defender and going wide as i said fpl is a lot about putting yourself in the position to get lucky and again this isn't me hiding behind luck as a catch-all there's many things that managers can do to improve things such as guarding against overthinking over management which we've spoken about in the past we try to control this as often as we can through careful planning and research analysis and we all you know try to make sure that we're trying to get in our positions to get lucky as i've been saying but often we are just at the mercy of fine margins as i found out to my joy last game week as nick's found out to his chagrin this and and maybe as anthony has throughout this entire season but the fact that you've kind of 
put all the, that kind of good thought and put that work into what you've been doing and it's just not gone your way it shouldn't mean you beat yourself up because at the end of the day you've done the work it's just not really worked out for you and a good question here as well uh, martin h asked how can we tell the difference between the avoidable blunder and sheer bad luck because is everything down to luck i don't think so right we can't say that every decision you make is, is unlucky. There's, there's certainly such a thing as making a bad decision or, or making a bad transfer in FPL. Perhaps, you know, an example um, from current situation maybe would be if you had made that move where you were going to target Harry Kane or something like that and then taking the minus four to, to bring in Kane and sell Salah, perhaps that would have been considered more of a blunder than bad luck. We've got memories of Harry Kane, we've got memories of these fantastic performances in the past. We know what he used to be like a few seasons back, but we also, the reality is we're aware that he's not quite the player he used to be. Spurs are not quite the team they used to be, unfortunately. And and then that was very indicative of that form of performance where they didn't even register a, a shot on target, which was just horrendously shocking. And Harry Kane was playing that role of centre-back. You know, we it, the kind of the writing was there a little bit in terms of the previous games where he'd been playing as defensive mid or centre back, wherever you know, and not getting forward, not making those runs he used to be doing. But I think that's that's one example, perhaps, of a, a potential avoidable blunder, or just if you do some sort of like rage transfer without thinking. Obviously, that's a could be a considered blunder. But I think example sheer blad like would be knowing which City or United player or Liverpool player is going to be hauling specifically that week. Is it going to be Martial? Is it going to be Bruno? Is it going to be Rashford? You know, we can't always predict it and say with City and Liverpool. You see, this is the thing. is that Someone could shoot you down and say, why should you ever captain a City attacker, especially at this point of the season, considering everybody is so prone to rotation. And so, you know, it's then... No matter what, you know, it's a matter of perspective, I guess, what is a, a blunder and what is just bad luck in that regard. And uh, th- These are the difficulties with FPL. And I guess that's why you, you people listen to this podcast and listen to other podcasts and read the news and read the Twitter and look at Ben Dinnery's feed to try and figure out as much as you can to give as much evidence and as much weight to every decision you make. And sometimes it just doesn't work out or often it may not work out and sometimes do you know what you can have a season where everything just goes your way and that's just the look of the draw and so the most you can do is I think as Tom says try to create a situation where you're just happy with your decision and try not to uh, dwell on it too much if it goes poorly yeah that's it it's it's all a matter of perspective as you nicely put it I mean I'm not too keen to look over past decisions pretty much ever uh maybe I'm, i'd be option four on the twitter poll i just want to close the door behind it and forget about it but if it's gone spectacularly wrong so something you know like selling uh, salad pre-bournemouth last season i will look into it because i think that's probably just good practice isn't it i mean in these cases you know, andy bastable said in response to the twitter poll it's very hard to overlook a bad outcome a hugely bad outcome and to evaluate how bad your thinking was if that's the outcome which is fair enough to be honest i do believe that um but I guess in many ways you can you can always put something down. You can always put it down to something else if you want to and avoid responsibility. And that's very helpful for some, you know, to be blaming Twitter experts or something like that. Uh, in reality, of course, we can never know the outcome, uh, which is what makes FPL so exciting and Moorish as those big wins are cherished and really make up for the deep lows in those sort of bizarre sort of moments that we get in playing this game. But yeah, I guess if you're still listening to us, uh, well... At this point in the very elongated season, you're well-versed in these sorts of things. Uh, just moving us on then to hindsight. 
So hindsight bias, or the better name I came across in research, um, creeping determinism, is better known as the I knew it all along effect. This is basically linked to hindsight bias, but it's a commonly observed behavior, you all know. People act like a result was more predictable after the fact than it was at the time. And a really fantastic uh, example of this was, uh, I posted this on Twitter, and I'm sure you won't mind me naming him, and my friend Graham, um, he spectacularly, spectacularly benched Antonio this week. It was his first bench. And uh, yeah, he sent me a statement to read because of how bad it was. Um, he said, if you look at the players, who could I Headed paper and all. Just over WhatsApp. <laughs> but he said, oh, if you look at my players, who could I have dropped? Salah, KDB, Fernandez, Pulisic. Um, so that was his midfield. He had Greenwood, Ings and Jimenez up front. And he just said he basically just couldn't find a way to fitting Antonio in. And he said, you know, that's my statement for the pod. And I still maintain that it was a good decision to, to go that way. And I said back to him, basically, I'm, I'm not sure why you'd have signed Antonio if you weren't playing him against Norwich, because when are you going to play him, basically? Do you guys think that that's an element of hindsight a little bit? Sorry, Graham, but I'm not too sure that that's quite... Uh, yeah, I, I think that, that that's probably a bit of a mistake, I'm afraid. I think it's easy for us to say with hindsight, isn't it? And that's the problem. Oh! Uh, <laughs> uh, hindsight, yeah. He said it! <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. But of course, like he's he's a fa- like he's named my midfield from last week that I was very happy with. So it's like it would be very hard for me to say like, oh god, you should definitely have tried to find a way to drop one of those midfielders or those strikers that everybody owned. And these are the risks I think that you have to take from time to time. And so, do I understand his logic? Yes, but at the same time, as you say, Tom, if you're going to invest that much money in your fifth midfielder and have the strike force that you have. What are you doing? And who do you have as defenders at that point? And that then feeds into the, the way that FPL works, which is trying to utilize your budget to make the most points across the team. And I, it, it, that's where there's an error here. And it's not necessarily in the selection this individual week. It's this, the selections and the transfers that have led to this position where he had to bench Antonio. Well, yeah, I think that's the situation I've ended up in a little bit because I've benched the wrong player two weeks in three. So I benched Greenwood and I benched Jimenez. And I, I remember actually talking about um, bringing in Virgil van Dijk and I ended up going a different path on the pod. So perhaps I should have followed my initial thoughts there <laughs> rather than listening to the uh, advice of my esteemed colleagues. But uh, never mind. Uh, I think it's very unfortunate for Graham, but I think we've all been in similar situations. So you have to, you have to deal with the guy. But um, we also had a, a question from Benny Blanco who said to us, is it ridiculous that we all didn't buy and captain Sterling this week? And that is definitely a question asked with the benefit of hindsight there, because I think, you know, looking at the facts, many of us had De Bruyne and Mares already, who had been excellent servants over the course of the season for their owners. And, it, you know, making a sideways move there could have easily blown up in your face. Um, De Bruyne and Mares actually had better points per game at that particular moment in time. Sterling was just having, he wasn't, he's not been having the best of seasons, to be honest. He had pretty patchy form compared to the last few years. Um, particularly, I didn't notice that, particularly in terms of like his transcration and assist stats. So he's only, he's only assisted five um, goals this season compared to 15 last campaign, 17 the one before and 14 the one before. And, by contrast, Mahrez had um, 13 assists and De Bruyne 21 assists. And in that game, you know, De Bruyne created five chances. Mahrez created four chances because we've easily gone slightly different route there in terms of the overall points, as we've already discussed. So I think definitely an element of hindsight, you know, 
we'd all love to have owned Sterling, but he was a bit too expensive really to fit into our teams. We had other City assets that were cheaper and what we considered better value. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there were obviously like the late riser and big man Bakar who made the salad to Sterling swap. And again, kudos. Um, really good. I mean, it's, it's a blind spot maybe for a lot of us, you know, over-focusing on bringing the likes of Vardy in. Salah had just gone big and he was the obvious route, as I've mentioned, to Sterling for many. And I think that after players that had a huge haul like that, he, he makes, makes himself a bit unsellable, doesn't he? Um, should we have looked at him a bit more? Should we have done that? Or is that just hindsight telling me it's easy to tie yourself up in knots, isn't it? I mean, kudos to those who sold Salah. But if you look at the match, and if you did watch the match and you've looked at the data, Salah, 1.22 XG, two big chances, four shots on target, three key passes. You've got to be thinking you're very, very unlikely not to get anything there. And Nick, who unfortunately captain Mane, one sellout status that he had a 0.65 XA and created two big chances. And watching the game, he was very unlikely not to get anything. If those happen and Stone doesn't score big, he had an XG of 1.31, so not a million miles from Salah's 1.22, scored three goals, maybe he scores just one. This is all a bit moot. So maybe it's an example about come bias again. Uh, but it's completely true, of course, as uh, as I mentioned earlier on to one of the responses to the poll, that real life and outcomes are not adjusted for luck. So, yeah, um, as Stag said earlier on, that 50-point differential is is really huge and really quite stark, isn't it? It's it's just sickening. because Sorry, I'm now self-indulgent, but... I sold Salah two weeks ago and this happens. Like, it's like I sell Salah, he gets his haul. And then I didn't even bother bringing in Sterling. I brought in Mares, who I was unhappy with. So I sold him and I ended up with bloody Tony Marshall. That worked out okay. But over a two week period, you end up down 40 or 50 points. And like on paper, none of the decisions are necessarily wrong. And you can, you could have said, God, if I brought in Sterling a week earlier, I would have been very lucky because he came off the bench and got a goal and assist or whatever. But you could say, oh, but he's just a talented player. So that's, of course, you weren't lucky. You just brought in a great player. But he's been crap for about a third of the season as well so it's like you know i think framing as well is a pretty big aspect of how people look at their decisions and other people's decisions and we could tie ourselves up in knots all day but it is at that point just hindsight exactly and then uh, chasing points i guess is what this leads on to naturally because if you're dealing with hindsight should you be paying attention to what's just happened and using that sort of hindsight to inform your decision making so adam at fpr patients uh, name checks out i suppose ask if we should ever use hindsight to chase points and inform my fpl purchases and I think the answer to this is yes at times. I'm not going to get into the discussion of what form is and if it exists. But sometimes if a player has scored for a couple of weeks in a row and has form for form, so think about how we'll all regard Danny Ings next season if he starts scoring goals, then it might be a good idea to jump on the bandwagon and fully embrace it. And maybe this is more about bandwagon than the bandwagon effects. Um, like the aversion to bandwagons as well is certainly there. And you can see it in a lot of people when they say, when they talk on or comment on FPL Twitter. And often we get a warped sense of chasing points because of FPL Twitter's weird influence on in our perceptions. So, for example, again, congratulations to you all. But my timeline this week was absolutely chock-a-block with Antonio Owners, Antonio Capsoners, Sterling Capsoners, uh, Jesus Capsoners, Owners of all three. You know, everyone I thought had 100 points. Looks at my rank. Oh, my rank had barely moved. In fact, I had a green arrow on Saturday from 25 points when people were posting scores at 80 and 90. Um, it was only Jimenez who actually did any damage to me yesterday. So the reality is, obviously, what you see is an intensely, acutely focused outcome 
and I'd say don't get too over over focused on finding the next differential. Sometimes, like if a player is looking hot in your judgment um, for eye eye tests, the stats, don't get too held back by thinking you're purely chasing points, jumping on the bandwagon. Obviously, some things are like Jordan Egan buying him was jumping on the bandwagon to stupid effect, but sometimes with these things, you've got to be able to make a, a good decision. Um, and I think maybe as you'll hear my transfer captains this week, uh, buying Raheem Sterling, maybe something that I will be jumping on. What do you guys reckon to that? Should we ever chase points? Is chasing points even a thing? I think it, yeah, it goes both ways, doesn't it? You know, you, you sometimes feel like you are chasing points if you bring in a player who's just netted a hat trick, but then you, you see other managers being stubborn and, and, you know, saying, I'm not, I'm not going to bring in this player now. Um, some cost fallacy, isn't it? Where, like, you know, if you missed out on the hat trick, that's it. I'm not playing Sterling. I'm going to stick with the players I've got and stick with the tools I've got and hope they deliver the, the following week. But you do, as you said, uh, you know, the market forces shows that there is way too much chasing points going on. We've seen John Egan sort of appearing in that top 10 two weeks in a row now. And it reminds me a bit of um, Yannick Vestergaard at the start of the season, oh, come game week five, when. 196,000 managers transferred him in. And then the following week, 168,000 managers transferred him in off the back of basically a goal against Manchester United and and not much more else. So, um, you know, you do see these sometimes these scenarios where people just bring in these players. Or sometimes with Steve, I think it was Stephen Ward that season where he rocketed all the way up to about 5.4 million or something. Just people, <laughs> Yeah, the Irish flag is out again just because of, um, you know, a few bonus points and a couple of assists, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you can chase points. But some, I think chasing points makes sense in some circumstances, but can be taken too far in certain other circumstances. I can only echo that, I think. But I would say that someone who's, um, you know, what you could say is chasing points is actually just, you know, buying form. And in that case, then it's totally fine. So there is an element of sense and an eye test obviously required to whatever form you're buying into slash points you're chasing. So, you know, if you pick players who are flashing in the pan, Dom Solanke, uh, Dogo Jata, Fabinho, then of, of course, like that's probably chasing points as opposed to buying form. These players aren't going to continue, but then maybe FPL sometimes is being able to recognize that difference that sometimes occurs, let's say in the Etienne Capu zone where a player just, there's a tactical change. That means that a player who has never before been seen to do this sort of, to deliver attacking output consistently does so for a short period and then is never heard from again. Yep. Is he Mo Salah or a load of Capu? Final question then, how do we make better decisions? I think probably an easy one to round off. What do you guys think then? As a man who is in negative decision spiral, uh, Stag, what are you doing to get yourself out of it? I think I've actually transcended the spiral at this point. I, I now just accept. Nirvana of the yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just accept how I am and that's fine. And I got a green arrow as a result, maybe you might say. Um, no, one thing I would like to think about is that I think that the effects of hindsight bias, I, I'm just going to call it the Twitter effect, etc., really affect me in particular when I'm selecting my game week one team and twice a season when I'm selecting my wildcard teams. You can really get into the group think and basically set yourself up poorly if you let yourself you know be the architect of your decision making I guess at that point if you look at Twitter too much at that point you end up basically trying to you end up trying to take back control of your team for weeks on end through your transfers to maybe let's say have the team that you're happy with because you felt like you had to 
cover that this defense because so many others had them or you needed to have this attacker so you've just budget-wise screwed yourself over across the whole entire team to make a compromise to just make sure that you were happy about that five accounts that you saw on Twitter that happened to have Mohamed Salah in their team when really you would have preferred Sadio Mane, for example, as a game week one choice. And then secondly, something which I haven't consciously done before, and maybe you'll say, Anthony, this has been FPL. This is how the game works. How have you not been doing this before? I'm probably going to make captaining midfielders my default position from now on because the fact of the matter is is that when the luck comes in you get more points you probably get more bonus points you get more points for a goal and there are just more midfielders who score in the league year on year than ever before it seems like there are very few poachers of the Aguero or Danny Ings variety left and even the likes of Gabriel Jesus, Raul Jimenez, even Tony Martial now seem to have become much more playmaking in their approach to the game and this is definitely all with a view towards feeding midfielders. And the fact of the matter is, is it doesn't seem like we're ever going to see Mo Salah or Sadio Mane reclassified as forwards. So you might as well just really cash in and just keep captaining midfielders and screw captaining forwards. Yeah, I like your, um, your slogan there. Felt very much out of the Charlie Meffin school of thought to take back control. Uh, but I think the only thing I can think of perhaps that is just to try not to rush your decision making as much as possible and it's, it's quite hard to do to be honest when we have these game weeks where we've got these very very tight deadlines for instance it's going to be less than 24 hours until the next deadline but you know just make sure before you press that button to make that transfer that you've really sort of weighed up the consequences you've, you've looked at the alternative most of the people who are listening know all of this already but you, you know you've analyzed the fixtures you've watched highlights if you've got a chance or even underlying stats no i know everyone doesn't necessarily have the time and day to complete all of those activities but to try and just spend a few minutes just doing that additional research and then that way once you've made that decision you, you understand you understand why you've done it and you can back yourself and if it goes wrong it goes wrong at least you know that you've you know done your research as opposed to just you know taking a, a lucky hit and not really looked at other alternatives as i said last week my key things to do are one, write down your initial decisions per week and see if I'm feeling the same uh, throughout the course of the game week um, in terms of the, the, the transfer I'm going to make. In normal times, you may get screwed by price movements, so you may have to move slightly early, but normally if I wait until Friday, um, you'll see that um, in, in most sort of places where outcome bias and hindsight bias are mentioned. So keep a rolling sort of uh, a log of how you're feeling and how things are going for you um, to try to mitigate against these factors. The other things I mentioned is don't make decisions under stress. That's a terrible idea. And if you get into a negative decision spiral, i.e. thinking whatever I do, I do it wrong, try to stick to the same process. Um, as I've mentioned several times, uh, you have to recognize that there's a lot of luck and randomness involved with FPL. Cool. Right. Let's take a break now and we'll be back with the mini league update and the questions. Oh, it's a goal. You've got the assist. Who got the assist? So we're back and let's uh, catch up with the Who Got the Assist Me League. Now, Anthony, you have the table. What's going on there? Is it all change? 
Yeah, there's quite a bit of change in fairness. Um, poor old Mark Bird has um, definitely stopped flying. He's down from ninth now to 10th, having been, I think, up as high as fourth a few weeks ago. 67 points, minus four, and even bench boosted. So that hasn't gone particularly well for him. Up from 11th to 9th is Sean B. His team, never forget, scored 67 points. Uh, Bruno Fernandes, captain, obviously didn't quite work out for him. Adi Mansour, down from second after getting only 47 points this week. Fernandes capped there as well, largely accounting for his issues. Daniel Ray with Salah Nikwaz, he's still in 7th, 62 points. Martin Jansen is the biggest winner in the top 10 this week. He's up from 21st to 6th with 99 points. Sterling captain, obviously, doing most of that for him. Jake Gallagher is down from 1st to 5th with Sheffield Wednesday, 44 points only. Fernandez captaincy there again, and I think you're seeing a theme there in that I think it's uh, 8 of our top 10 have captained Fernandez. Uh, MJ, back up from 6th to 4th with his team, the Cops, scoring 68 points, same as myself, but without any hits. Uh, Fernandez captaincy wasn't enough to hold him back. Uh, Alex Coates up from 5th to 2nd, or joint 2nd actually. His team, Hallerat Me, scored 74 points. Fernandez captaincy, der. Uh, up from fourth to the joint second with him is Adam Warner, his team Bury 94, 74 points, Fernandez captaincy holding him back, but still doing quite well there. And up from third to first is Nathan Wollaston's The Woolly Ones, 95 points this week. Sterling captaincy doing the biggest damage for him, but he also had the Doherty clean sheet. He had Sons 13, Marshalls 13, Raul Jimenez's 8, and uh, Bruno Fernandez's assist as well. I was just laughing just then about your absolute butchering of Niçoise. It's, it's a sad Niçoise, not a, not a Niçoise. Yeah, yeah. I'm the pronunciation expert of the group. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I realised it after I said it, and I was like, oh, hopefully I get away with this one, but no. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, um, yeah, well done, Nathan. Um, great week for you. Good to see you. Uh, top of the league i think the website's still um updating at the moment but was overall ranked 16 at least at one point to having just an absolutely fantastic season there Jeez, yeah um, amazing really and it's incredible as well in terms of those kind of really strong risers and those really stark fallers that the haves and the have-nots and the harsh binary you mentioned earlier on having those players such an impact this week right let's move on to the questions then uh the first one <laughs> Yeah, again, uh, about the back, uh, forget at the back. So the, maybe the final, final evolution of big at the back. The Typhlosion, the Charizard big at the back, is maybe that's upon us. David BR76 asks if it's time to just ignore the defence and keep it all together. He says he wants to improve his defence, yet he thinks it's probably not worth the transfer. What do we think? It's probably not worth not worth it. I would say stick with the Charmander defense. Um, like the ceiling just isn't high enough there. Like if you've three good fixtures uh, per week, then really you've no need to worry. Just you know sort the rest of your team out, pick up points from goals and assists, and get your captaincies right. That's really where the priority should be at this point. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I've got Soyuncu in my team, so I do feel like I have to make some form of defensive transfer to to try and sort it out. So if you're in my circumstance, kind of makes sense to still think about the defence, but, you know, looking at the sort of the rogues gallery of options available at the price range, there's really no one to get particularly excited about. I think if you've got a case where you've got the sufficient coverage, like the Wolves defence already, or Burnley or Sheffield United, then by all means, just just leave it for the end of the season and focus on, on the rest of your team. I mean, they're, they're never the most exciting transfers and it's just if it's the pursuit of chasing the clean sheets 
especially once we've reached this site end of the season where it's very, very unpredictable. For instance, we saw four teams in the relegation battle winning this game week, then, you know, it's probably worth leaving it. Yeah, um, maybe good old David didn't actually tell us his team there, but I would say if you have a Man United defender, just like you're wasting a slot having a United defender oh, as uh, poor Tom is feeling there with Maguire still. I had to bite the bullet and sell him ahead of this game week. So I would say, yeah, probably free up that spot and get your Marshall, Fernandez, Greenwood, Rashford, whatever. Just make better use of that slot. It's getting ridiculous now, though. I've got to take a minus eight to get rid of Maguire. I just don't think I'm going to do it. I'm just going to leave him there. In fact, I'm probably going to bench him this week and play Dawson over him. Oh, I can't wait for the 15-point Yeah, it's going to happen, isn't it? It's really, <laughs> really going to effing happen. But like, I, he's just—it's so annoying. Like, I just—I wish I'd, I'd gone that way. I just—I just thought you know the 90-minute man thing. And to be honest, you know, he's done all right in terms of clean sheets uh, over the course of the, the restart. I think he's logged three, hasn't he? Yeah, for Sheffield United, Brighton, and Villa. It's just, it's just, it's not happening, is it? No. Um, in general, I'm absolutely ignoring my defenders, and that's just because free transfers are so precious. And as discussed last week, oh, I don't really see any upside to buying defenders right now. Uh, the value is there over the course of the season, but it's very rarely there over the course of just three game weeks. An honourable exception may well be Alonso for one week if you want to do it. So if you have a flush with money and you think, and you see you know, there's leakers out there, there's a, a rock star, of course, there's also a new one on the single, a Scarface or something. I'm not too sure whether I believe in him or not. Um, but if they both say Alonso is looking like the likely starter, he might be worth bringing in for that Norwich game. That will be the only one I'd be vaguely interested in bringing in over the price of you know, 4.5 million. Like you know, the likes of maybe Lewis Dunk or something, I'd be more inclined to bring in if I was doing a defensive transfer at the moment. It's, there's just no value there because there's only three game weeks left. Um, and you'd be better off using a free transfer somewhere else. Um, so, David and anybody else who's looking at defenders, yes, it is the case of uh, forget at the back. Just move on to other, other spots in your team. As we've discussed, ad nauseam already. Next question, Kun Karam. Uh, Karam, uh, who uh, achieved 106 points this week. He had Antonio Sterling captain. Uh, all because I advised him, so maybe I should get some points as a donation uh, towards that free hit. Um, but he says, with three game weeks left for the season, uh, and many are playing something in the middle leagues, can we pick differentials from each position to help us climb the ranks? And similarly, Charles Hazel um, asked the same. Top three punts for those chasing in mini leagues. Um, this is quite interesting because obviously we've said bin off defenders and bin off attackers, so it might be interesting to see who we've actually gone with. Uh, just to go first, because I always go last, and you guys always end up taking the ones that I was going to say. Um, in terms of defenders, it's a Tarko Tarkovsky, solid, and he's got goal threat. Double up with Pope, he's a good differential if you're a Pope owner. Wolves, Norwich and Brighton to end the season with. In midfield, two. I'm not going to bother with forwards because they're all terrible. Greenwood, plus one, you're done. Uh, David Silva, end of an era for El Maggio. That basically means the end of it. Uh, Bournemouth, Watford and Norwich. And we're going to assume that Norwich game is going to be set up the Spaniard effectively. I can imagine they're all going to be passing it to him, trying to get him to score, trying to get him to assist, trying to get him to do whatever. He'll be on all flip plays, all uh, kind of uh, penalties, whatever. The final one in midfield is Trossard, the Trossard wagon. I really like that. He was one who was beloved of the analytics crew um, earlier on the season. They, really, they were really drooling over him. He had really decent numbers. Um, his numbers were okay, obviously not revolutionary, uh, but a case of why not? 
I mentioned Lewis Dunk earlier, if you're really looking for a defender pick, he always seems to score. Um, but yeah, they've got Southampton, Newcastle and Burnley to end the season and look relatively safe. So maybe Graham Potter will be looking uh, to create some sort of crazy new Pep-esque formation, Pep-like formation for the next year. And Trossard looks like he's finally coming into his stride. So yeah, three for me, Tarko, David Silva, Trossard and Dunk in comments too. What do you guys think? Um, so yeah, I think in defence, I, I actually quite um, was quite impressed by Kyle Walker Peters tonight in terms of his performance against Manchester United. He, he was making quite a lot of attacking, darting runs and, and getting a few crosses on the you know Ings probably should have been in the right place to, to put a couple of those away potentially. So I think I quite like him as a little bit of a differential picker. Only four point four million and um, Southampton have Brighton, Bournemouth, and Sheffield United, so they've got some quite nice fixtures to close off the season. They're playing with a lot of confidence as well, uh, putting some good performances. So I think um, I quite like him as a little defensive pick. In midfield, um, I've, well, I've kind of picked out Silver as well as the one that I've noticed um, as the best differential. It's a bit of a slack wagon there, but he's only 4.7% owned. And with those Bournemouth and um, Norwich games, it's obviously he's leaving the club. It feels like very much a sort of nostalgic pick just to kind of round off the David Silver era real... Um, you know, an amazing player that the Premier League was blessed to, to see over the past uh, five or six years. So, Silver, perhaps in midfield. Um, and then up front, I just kind of, well, I just called out Olivier Giroud, maybe. Um, there was a bit of a bust-up, wasn't there, with Tammy Abraham and <laughs> um, and Lampard, supposedly, and Giroud, since um, the restart's been looking really, really decent, hasn't he? 15 goal attempts, um, which is sick for all the forwards and three goals to his name as well. So why not? Norwich at home. If he's starting, you hear early he's starting, then perhaps a, a little bit of a bust. Uh, perhaps a, a little bit of a punt there. Um, right. So defenders, we've been talking them down. I've talked about City defenders being an interesting pick for weeks. They probably have the best pictures, but at the end of the day, do you really want to be wasting a transfer bringing a City defender at this rate? Probably not. So I think um, good old Lewis Dunk Tom's pick was actually a pretty good one, considering that Brighton have solid, decent fixtures and he is a goal threat. In midfield, um, a troll for Nick, really, Stuart Armstrong. Um, oh. Southampton, great fixtures, good goal against United, great player, isn't he, Nick? Um, so I'd be considering him. I do like the Trossard pick. He was kind of my preseason darling, but didn't really um, pay too much dividends for me when he was in my game week one team. But I do like the idea of having Trossard in your team. But I, I'm not sure it's going to go well for anybody. And we are officially in the Iosi Perez zone. Um, I know Leicester are crap, Ooh, but definitely. you know. We are officially in that zone at this point. Uh, the inverse for Charleston himself. I think I, I expect something good from him at some point in these next three weeks. And I'm going to call Gabriel Jesus uh, a differential and just annoy people and recommend him because I don't want to recommend somebody like, I don't know, McBurney or Deeney or something. So I'll, I'll just give you that one. Um, one thing about David Silva as a pick as well is he's unlikely to do a John Terry and walk off as a sub in the 21st minute, which is at least something for everybody there. But something to keep in mind as well. Well, actually, only three of the top uh, eleven scores this game week were owned by more than five percent of in more than five percent of teams, and that was one of those was Jesus, who's five point two, Son six point five, and then obviously Sterling seventeen point seven. So there are big points to be got from differentials if you pick the right ones, but that's the problem if you pick the right one. Yeah, exactly. The differential lottery of differential roulette to point a phrase. 
Right, next question. Maller Mainstream. Uh, Diraj Pandey is looking at, at the Liverpool midfielders after the game week. He's wondering whether basically either should be in our teams anymore. Uh, Nick, Marneona upset after captaining him uh, and having a captain fail. Are you looking to boot him out? We were saying uh, offline before the pod that you just realised that you had a route to Sterling there. Um, yeah. Is you're seriously considering? I hadn't really been considering it until that particular moment and I started thinking actually that is a really good route to Sterling because um, well, my original kind of response to this question was just to remember how much Mo Salah loves Arsenal. Um, he's, in five appearances, he's had six goals and four assists against them, which is more combined than any other Premier League club. So Salah, Arsenal is basically Salah's favourite club and I've got fond memories of actually captaining him against Arsenal over the past couple of seasons and getting some really big hauls um, when other managers didn't get him. So that's my only comment in regards to Salah, like how many times have people been punished for selling this guy? Uh, but, you know, I do understand the appeal and the significant cash cow that he can um, he can be to allow you to bring in someone like Raheem Sterling, who's just got a hat-trick and, and got much better fixtures than Liverpool have for the final three. So, yeah, it's it's a risk, is all I'm going to say. I, it's going to end in disaster if you sell them, because that's always how it works. But at the same time, I think on paper, there are, as we say, teams with better fixtures. There is a better way to use that money. Um, both of them will probably explode one more time at least before the end of this week. Like As we were just pointing out, I think twice, if not three times on the pod, the fact of the matter is that Salah had similar statistics to Raheem Sterling, but there was a cavernous gap between the two of them in terms of points returned this week, and that could easily invert next game week in spite of who both teams are playing. Yep, um, pretty agree with that. I think actually as well, like I know people are saying you know, they've got Chelsea to come. Um, and uh, Chelsea, like they can't keep a clean sheet if you pay yeah, exactly. them. Exactly. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, you know, Arsenal and Chelsea, you, you, if you're seriously sitting there and looking at those pitches and going, oh, they're rid on the FPR, I'm getting rid. They'll be wondering, really, yeah, uh, like really, I mean... Mid, against, a game against mid-table Arsenal. Yeah. Like the fact of the matter is, if they, if he was playing against Sheffield United earlier in the season, nobody would have been too worried, even though they were above Arsenal all this time and looked much more solid defensively all year. You know exactly. Well, two things: one, the FDR is completely redundant because if you, it's a five-point scale where they don't use point one and point five, they don't want to offend anyone. So you've got a three-point scale, which is basically good, bad, or middle. Like what an absolute fucking waste of time that is. Um, but anyway, Arsenal and Chelsea, meh. I mean, they're both fixtures in which you'd perceivably say on the other side they're going to go for it which is going to be more space for Salah um, and also Chelsea are going to be fresh off the back of playing an FA Cup game on Sunday against Manchester United and uh, before their game against Liverpool and indeed that could be a capstanable game for Salah actually because he'll be I guess aiming for the golden boot as the state of aim so uh, I, I think maybe it's resulting a bit um, unfortunately Derage I think maybe it's a bit um, overthinky maybe um, I mean if you seriously are looking to you know buy Martial or you know buy um, Sterling or something like that then as Nick is looking at that makes sense um, but I'm not too sure it's worth thinking overthinking it too much like for context I've got Salah in my team and KDB in my team I'm basically just forgetting that they're there um, and I'm going to leave them there for the rest of the season I think that's going to be the way it is um, if you really need to move them on to accomplish some other goal that you're convinced is needed do it but otherwise just don't overthink it all right next question target schmarget uh so carl at atku fpl asked if operation target bournemouth has now swapped to operation target leicester uh but really asked if there's any life in the targeting strategy anymore and friend of the pod takhar asks if target bournemouth is now dead um 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I watched that game, um, the Bournemouth-Leicester game, and I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing almost in the second half. Like, I Was it a fluke? Was it Leicester being really bad? Was it Bournemouth being really good somewhere in between? Was it something to do with the centre-back literally losing his mind for a few yeah. seconds? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, it was really weird, wasn't it? I still expect City to turn over Bournemouth. Um, but I guess maybe in hindsight, wee connection. Uh, I we should probably have presented Antonio as more of an option um, against Norwich, and maybe we should have. Oh, I'd have totally done that if I was here. You all know that, though. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, easy to say in hindsight, isn't it? Um, but... Yeah, <laughs> I think um, I'm going to be targeting Norwich with Pulisic. Um, leak permitting, of course. And um, it sounds like from what Lampard's remarks were. Um, that Pulisic should be okay. So he said that he did take him off of the 65th minute against Sheffield United, but said that he was, you know, affecting games in a good way and he was very happy with him. So I think Pulisic should be my captain. Spoilers this week against Norwich. So maybe a Chelsea player may be worth looking at. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure we're quite dead in the water because you've got Man City next. And I'm sure that the market forces are going to be moving towards buying Man City players in. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's more, as I've said, just a case of um, where you think the point's going to be. That's going to come against the weaker teams. And uh, some people have said, oh, maybe Norwich are going to turn it around now. And because they're, they're relegated, they're going to throw off the shackles of expectation and start to play very well. They're still not very good. So if they do, sure. sorry, a bit of a digression, but if they do, is that not the most frustrating thing ever? Because they were yeah. such a good team at the start of the year. And you just, you just be looking at them just like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know if I'd ever buy one of their ex-players if they came back into the Premier League next season, if that's how they do it. Like, it's, it's like that guy who comes, into, who comes into the office. He's very, very good to begin with. And then he kind of tells off. And then he's moving on somewhere else. And then he's something really good before he's leaving because he's, he's something really confident again. Uh, or basically Willian around the, around the time he's got a new contract coming up. Viduka. Uh, yeah. Oh, what a player Mark Duca is, though, for Chapman players. Um, yeah, no, uh, as I said, it's, it's, it's basically uh, Operation Bournemouth was I maintained a good idea, um, as Nick maintained too. I think it's one of those things that um, it was a bit of a strange game, Bournemouth and, Le- and Leicester, maybe fitting into the randomness idea that I spoke about earlier on. And targeting Bournemouth and targeting the likes of Bournemouth, so targeting Norwich, probably still a good idea. So I, I'm probably not going to say that um, Target is in the bin. Nick, what do you reckon? Yeah, it was it was a bit of an odd game, it wasn't it? With all the teams that we've been discussing about targeting, like West Ham or Watford, Bournemouth, and Leicester Villa, all winning. But instead, we saw like the teams that were on the beach this game week that performed really badly. In contrast, so the likes of Palace, the likes of Newcastle, the likes of Everton as well, um, all being really bad and. Norwich were really bad as well and as you said that's perhaps the one team we really should now be considering targeting they are fully relegated unlike Bournemouth and Villa who probably harbour some belief that they still might be able to survive off the back of sort of four points in two games but Norwich are fully relegated morale at that club's going to be rock bottom and they've just been probably the worst team in the league so it's right that they're relegated they've conceded the most goals now since the restart with 15 um, and they've conceded most goals just generally over the course of the season and those shots on target, various other stats, they're right at the bottom for. So I think there is a case potentially for targeting Norwich if you fancy to still try and follow that strategy, even though it didn't work out for Tottenham assets, certainly didn't work out for some of the Leicester assets. Um, I think, yeah, why not go for a, a target Norwich approach? The next yeah. few games could, could work out effectively. Norwich are relegated, as I said, so they've got nothing to play for and they've probably broken 
as a team. Yeah, li- little to add, only just to remind people of that time that Newcastle drubbed Spurs after they'd been relegated a few years ago, just because it was funny. Cheers for that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, it, it was, was a fine Adam hat trick or something, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah. Signed off his uh, his Newcastle career at the time, I think, with that. Yeah, lads only all at home, didn't he? All right, and the final question this week chasing Chelsea. Uh, so, Ed, FPL Rhinos, has no Chelsea, so he wants to know if it's worth bringing in one of those uh, Chelsea players versus Norwich, uh, seeing as they have Poole and Wald in their fancy fixtures. And this is an excellent, excellent segue question, uh, which you always love and always try to look for. Um, to our transfers and captains. Let's take Ed's question first and then we'll segue onwards very smoothly to our transfers and captains. Uh, so if you have no Chelsea, I think that uh, as we saw with West Ham, like most of us probably have no interest in holding West Ham asset long-term, long-term being three weeks, of course, um, but probably it would have been a good idea to I don't know, move Pulisic for Antonio in hindsight. Oh, you did it again. Um, the reality is that if you are... <laughs> <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Headbutts his microphone in anger, uh, but I mean, if you are if if you are looking for a one week punt, obviously the Chelsea asset is a great idea. Like if you're moving up Mares or something like that, because you're you know convinced that maybe Mares won't play as perhaps I am, um, maybe you'd be looking at Chelsea in some way, shape, or form. If you've got a Vardy or something, you see a Malik, that uh, sexy man Giroud or Tammy Abraham, the Championship striker, are playing, bring them in. Probably worth a one week rental, but nothing more than that. Um, I mean, Liverpool haven't been too good at keeping clean sheets, but Wolves have been pretty tight. So maybe it is narrowly just looking over the course of a one-week return and then shifting on or benching. Likewise with me, I think that realistically, given what we've just seen happen to Norwich, I think you'd be silly not to have a Chelsea attacker. Obviously, leaks permitting, I think Pulisic is probably the one to have. Obviously, Willian maybe has the um, form since the restart, if you believe in it. Um, I wouldn't necessarily go for any of their strikers, even on a loan. I think that at best, they seem to only play 60, 65, 70-ish minutes. And I don't know if it's worth it considering their talents anybody anyway. But even with Liverpool and Wolves after that, if you did end up stuck with them for whatever crisis that might break out in your team, a Chelsea player with Champions League to play for against, first of all, Liverpool, who will be, you know, quote-unquote, on the beach perhaps, um, especially given that they don't seem to be putting in the maybe the success that we are getting the success that we expected them to have after winning the title to let's say push for these records that they were allegedly going to be pushing for I know you could say that Nick Pope was the only reason for that but they always found a way every other game before they won the title put it that way except against uh, Watford of course and then against Wolves like Wolves could be out of the Champions League race by the time game week 38 comes so it might not be the worst time to have a Chelsea player Yeah I think if you want to make a one week punt then I would definitely tie up the William or Pulisic I wouldn't touch the defence they're absolutely horrendous as you saw from the 3-0 drubbing that Sheffield United gave them they've got a rubbish goalkeeper and Suman Christensen I'm just not up to standards are they so avoid the defence even though it's, if Norwich at home if you're free hitting then by all means get a Chelsea defender in but otherwise because of what comes next with Liverpool and Wolves just don't bother and yeah I mean Pulisic, William great targets for one week but it's a, it is a one week punt ultimately Cool. So, should we move on then to transfers and captains? And talking about Chelsea, I'm probably going to captain Pulisic actually. Um, as long as I know he starts, I think it's just probably just give him a chance to be the captain and disappoint me on on a Saturday afternoon um, and ruin the uh, ruin the game week. So yeah, probably going to go for that. It'll be a Tuesday night. Yeah, they all merge. All the days are merging into one. I can't even keep up anymore. <laughs> 
I looked at it and I thought it was a Saturday morning fixture and the only game on Saturday. It's a Tuesday. Sorry. So, yeah, I'm going to bring in Pulisic for some Tuesday evening disappointment. Um, as my captain, in terms of my chances, there's a few things I haven't really I've got to think about a little bit longer before I'm making decisions. I had sort of plans to bring in Danny Ings maybe for Jimenez, but I don't even know who I'd bench in regards to that move anyway, so I'm probably going to not bother with that. I could do Manage Sterling. I could do Soyan Chu for some rubbish defender, but I've got Cresswell playing anyway, so I don't, don't know if that's worth it either. Um, oh, so yeah, I've got two free transfers. Going to do something, I'm sure. I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to burn it. But I'm decided, yeah, probably going to only do one move. Give me two for for game week 37. Nick Nick confirms he's making a transfer. <laughs> Cheers. Knight in Knight in shining armor, Cresswell. I think yeah, that's a worrying, isn't it? Worrying times for everybody. It's the most 2020 thing I think. I've got Cresswell playing at least. Oh man, right. Well, some pretty okay. underlying stats. <laughs> 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 okay, got a clean sheet, got a clean sheet. Highest point scorer in the team, Nick, this week. Right, yeah, um, and third for chances created out of the <laughs> since the restart. With, with hindsight, that was a great pick, actually. Uh, one last <laughs> goal, sorry. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so uh, what am I going to do? So the Derry Cracker asked, what the hell are we going to do with Vardy? Um, I forgot to ask, I wrote that in earlier on. Um, but this really impacts my season seed. Sometimes I was saying now, I'm considering getting rid. It was always going to be a one-week rental. Um, but I could be persuaded to keep now. A couple of confirmation bias pieces I could probably throw out there. So Vardy from Sheffield, who's a Wednesday night, um, according to Athletic, was playing football in, I don't know what they do in the north, play in garages, back alleys or something. Um, and he rustled Sheffield United fans last time. Um, but will he, will he be as up for it without a crowd? I don't really know. Two, um, feasibly Leicester will need to react against Sheffield United in order to keep up their uh, Champions League chase, I suppose. Uh, but Sheffield United didn't have to defend again. And uh, yeah, no Madison, no increasing chances. Chef, uh, Leicester looks an absolute wreck. So yeah, I'm probably not going to be falling into that one. Um, uh, so what I could do is get rid of him to Ings. And if I do that, I might as well just do Mares to Sterling while I'm at it. I don't think that Mares is going to play against... Bournemouth, I think he'll play against Arsenal and maybe be rested or get a few minutes against Watford, but I don't think he's going to play against Bournemouth. I think Foden will get the run out there. Um, and I'm only going to take a hit if I'm buying Raheem Sterling. Uh, Danny Ings seems like a just easy buy him and Brighton, Bournemouth next to, yeah, very, very good. I could just leave Vardy in there, though. I could do Mares uh, to Foden, who I'm fairly sure is going to play this week. Um, I don't know yet. Basically, I just don't know. It'll be a last-minute decision, and it'll be based on the league as well. So if Pulisic doesn't play, it all goes out the window, and I don't really know what I'm doing. I'll probably maybe use a transfer just to literally uh, probably buy another Chelsea player, a Chelsea midfielder who is playing for uh, Pulisic if he's not. I don't know. All, all down to Rockstar or that Scarface fella coming through. Um, the other thing I've got to figure out this week is uh, I've two spots actually in defence alongside that TAA up for grabs. I've got Dawson, Taylor, Sice and uh, Maguire all jostling for two spots. I may play Dawson because I think a nil-nil for West Ham and Watford could go a Massive goal threat. Yeah, but, but a nil-nil keep them both up, I think, is kind of how it is at the moment as well. So you could have an Austria-Germany sort of situation where they both kind of accept that a nil-nil is going to happen um, and pass around midfield, you know, descends into a Mark Noble, um, a, a Capu sort of pass around, I don't know. Um, uh, Maguire's absolute toilet, so I could well be tempted to bench him and just play Sice and Dawson. Um, and as Nick mentioned, I'm going to mention Pulisic as well, pending the league. Anthony, what are you doing? More hits. 
<laughs> basically. Um, I have Vardy and Jimenez right now. I think I'm going to sell both of them to do something or another. I might even find a way to get Raheem Sterling into my team. Um, Leaks dependent, I guess. If Pulisic isn't playing, I'm or Pulisic isn't playing, I'm probably just going to go without any Chelsea attack whatsoever and probably upgrade his slot to Sterling. And then I'd have basically a a dump forward plus maybe Danny Ings or something and Raheem Sterling. Uh, we shall see, basically. Otherwise, I might even go for the David Silva approach um, in midfield and improve things. But if I was making one transfer, it would probably be Vardy to Gabriel Jesus. So I'm kind of keeping my options open. But um, just trying to chase points effectively. I'd probably captain Jesus as well if I brought him in. Sounds uh, like a bit of a punt there, but go for it. Why not? Um, yeah, so let's wrap up. Um, we were who's got the assist. Thanks for listening again. Um, and we'll be back next Thursday for another pod in three days' time. Yeah, I mean, we'll be back um, for Thursday. I think we're going to, it'll be the first time during the whole lockdown that we've recorded before the game week has finished, uh, which is probably a bit of an achievement just because one, I don't want to spend Friday, my Friday night doing editing. Up until Maguire uh, screwed me over, I didn't anticipate having players in West Ham, Watford, but I may well have one now. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I think we'll probably get one out on Thursday. So you've got it on Friday, so you've got a little bit of time. But I'm looking forward to the end of these night shifts and the end of these quick turnarounds in terms of a content creator that has been fun uh, watching as a fan. Hope it's just in game week 36, and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.